Hello listeners and welcome to another Total Italian Football Podcast. I am your host again, uh, Kevin Pogzelski. This is becoming slightly more frequent than uh, I ever expected. Um, but we have some absences this week. Uh, our usual host, Connor Clancy, is celebrating a milestone birthday. Uh, I shall let you all view his socials and um, guess how old you think that milestone birthday is. And uh, <laughs> Ewan Burns is, is also away in Sofia uh, enjoying some Bulgarian football. But I have Vito here. So uh, a two-man show again, Vito. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Kev. Um, to be honest, I think these two-man shows between us two have actually been great fun so far. And uh, as much as I enjoy, you know, doing it with Connor and you and even with just us two, it's still it's still a good balance. I still think the listeners are going to be satisfied. How about yourself? How are you going up in Liverpool? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm back in Liverpool. I have been down in Portsmouth this weekend uh, to send my friend off to Oz, actually. He's emigrating to Australia on Wednesday. He's going to live on the Gold Coast with his wife and his two children. And uh, so I was I was sofa surfing. So I'm a little worse for wear, having uh, had about eight hours sleep in two days. And the sleep that I have had has been just with like a blanket and a sofa and probably far too much alcohol, um, which has meant I've I've only grabbed highlights apart from tonight's game. But um, yeah, I'm 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 good. And uh, while it is lovely doing this with you, just the two of us. Uh, uh, it, it's difficult when we can't pause to get rid of my poor podcast etiquette that uh, Connor mentioned last week, <laughs> and uh, also we don't want to we don't want to give them too many uh, opportunities to sort of leave us doing this on our own. So um, fair point. Yeah, it's lovely to do it for you, but uh, it would be it would be nice when I wasn't feeling so ropey to um, not be doing it. But onto the football. So we're match day fourteen. Um, started on Friday night uh, Juventus had a very sort of late scare and then late winner to win 2-1 to Monza uh, on to Saturday I think I'm saying this now looking at the fixtures and trying to work out if I've got the listing right uh, Genoa and Empoli drew 1-1 uh, Lazio had a narrow 1-0 victory over Cagliari uh, the game you covered for us Milan Frosinone ended uh, 3-1 in the favour of the Milanese Giants. And then we move on to today's fixtures where we had Lecce and Bologna drawing 1-1. Uh, a, a somewhat entertaining 3-3 draw between Udinese and Verona. Fiorentina got three goals themselves, but Salernitana couldn't get on the score sheet. And Roma won. I don't know how. Uh, I've only just seen the highlights and we'll get on to that. But... Uh, that was an absolute stinker for Sassuolo, uh, losing that game 2-1. And then uh, Inter have beaten the champions Napoli at the Diego Armando Maradona Stadium in Naples, 3-0, and gone back to the Serie A standing. So um, probably the best place to start is where we've just finished the weekend, Vito. And um, it was something of a, a an Inter masterclass over Napoli, really. Um, they were as good as Napoli were, not poor, but a shadow of the side that sort of dominated the league last season. Uh, they certainly look like they were a shadow of what they were last season, Napoli, and also it doesn't help that they didn't have a natural left back, but more on that later. If we focus on Inter for the time being, I think they definitely showed that they were a class above, and the first two goals in particular were... Fantastic efforts, you know, to open the scoring. So Chalonoglu scored with that lovely long-range shot that did not have much elevation, but Merit couldn't do much about it, or it was just too good for him, you know, to get beaten by. Still a great strike by Chalonoglu. And uh, Barella, just the control in the box, when it looked like he might have lost his balance a bit, and to still put it away, that was an excellent effort. And... Even the third goal, which Turam scored, it was still a good way of, you know, switching the play. And then Juan Cuadrado, who was on as a substitute, uh, put in that cross for Turam to finish from close range. So 
Um, three very well taken goals, and in terms of the overall play, the Nerazzurri certainly showed their title credentials. They were the better team on the night. Yeah, I think Barella did excellent to to stay on his feet and then sort of poke the ball past um, Alex Merritt. And that was Chalinoglu's uh, 21st, yes, I am getting that right, 21st strike from outside the box since 2018. And I saw the stat that in the major five European leagues, only Kevin De Bruyne and James Madison have scored more times from outside the box. And less so Madison... Um, but to think of Chalinoglu being as prolific as De Bruyne from outside the box somewhat surprised me. It feels like he scores spectacular goals, but not really a lot in a season. But he's now got four in six for, for Inter, and he really does want that total medal that he kind of lost, um, well, didn't lose, but um, missed the opportunity to get by moving from Milan the year they won the league uh, to Inter. Yeah, it definitely was a missed opportunity for Chalinoglu after leaving the Rossoneri. But I do think he's playing his best football with Inter. He's in a role that's bringing the best out of him. And if you look quickly on his time at AC Milan, I did feel that he was out of position a lot, especially in the Gennaro Gattuso area where he was constantly played on the left wing, which was not his position at all. And some of those long-range shots were just hopeful. In this system with Inter, uh, you know, Chalonoglu is in a more centralised position. And I think that way, at least, he's direct and it's a bit more comfortable. He doesn't have to worry about cutting in from the wing or trying to get some angle. He can just go straight on goal, be direct. And I think that's really brought the best out of him. Yeah, I think that's the thing for me. When he was at Milan, he it's not really his game to sort of jink past somebody and take someone on um, one-on-one and maybe skip past them with pace. Whereas if you look at tonight's goal where he's just he's just allowed to sort of run onto the run onto the ball um, from that centre area and have it sort of played into his path, gives him that time to sort of prepare himself. But um, yeah, he's been phenomenal for them really this year. I think him and him and Martinez have been the two sort of standouts. And you know, Martinez was quite quiet tonight. He didn't get a goal, didn't get an assist. He says slowing down his words because I was trying to think if he did. Um, but you know, Marcus Duran popped up, and it, it was another brilliant performance from him. Really, I think he was he was a constant uh, outball for the for the Nirazuri, and he was full of running. You know, which is probably kind of a doing doing him a disservice because he was much more than that tonight. And uh, again, it was a, it was a lovely time to uh, run into the box to to meet a a a, a well placed uh, Quadrado cross and sort of probably give um, the result the scoreline it deserved because uh, Inter were three goals better. No, they were definitely three goals better, and Lautaro, despite. You know, not having his best game, he probably should have scored, but his effort just went woefully over the bar. It was absurd. In other games, he would have buried that chance quite comfortably because he had the space to do so, and he wasn't too far out. But back to Ram, to Taram, uh, definitely you wouldn't label him as a workhorse because he's actually got some nice touches on the ball, and he's got a... He's got a bit of a football brain on him, I reckon. He knows how to time his runs and position himself well. So the way he's progressing, he's starting to look like he's going to become a more all-rounded or complete striker. Although um, Inter were, were, were dominant and deserved their victory, there was a, there was a moment of controversy. Um, it, you know, the, the game has only just finished. I've not seen a lot of the social media um, post post game because we've been putting up our our bits and bobs on the site which people should go and read, um. But just before the Barella goal and you know literally before the Barella goal, you know there's probably a minute a minute and a half between the two, there was a penalty shout for Napoli, when I, I would say a Cherby was clumsy in a in a challenge he made uh, with Osserman, and I was I was probably surprised myself not to see it given because he was, um. He sort of he was the wrong side of the ball. Uh, he does sort of knock Osman off balance, uh, and I've probably seen similar 
um, tackles given uh, in the past? I reckon in, in Italy, you would see those given more often than not because the contact is there. Uh, however, I don't think Acerbi was overly malicious. So, you know, in this whole going to hypotheticals thing, I think if that was like a European fixture, uh, it would not have surprised me that it was not given at all. This being a Serie A game. Malicious, uh, this is a Serie A malicious, game. Uh, yeah. oh, okay, go on. Yeah, if, <laughs> but this was a Serie A game, so I was a little bit surprised it wasn't given because ultimately the contact was there. And um, from memory, I don't recall a Cherby necessarily getting the ball at all, not getting the ball first. So. No, no, he didn't. No, so yeah, no, he didn't get the yeah, ball. Yeah, so at in all, that but case, it was, yeah, it was very clumsy. Yeah, so in that case, I think uh, Napoli should have got a penalty. And like I said, being Serie I would have expected that to be given. Mm. I certainly would have been fuming, but um, particularly because Napoli. Oh, well, sorry, Inter went down the other end and just got the second goal and that really put the game to bed even with sort of half an hour to go. But uh, yeah, probably somewhat uh, hard done by, but uh, one of those where I think even if even if Napoli had scored from the resulting penalty, Inter looked like they could, um, as and when they wanted, kind of step it up a little bit and, and take the three points back to Milan. So uh, yeah, the... Um, the result probably would have stayed the same, uh, but the uh, scoring might have changed slightly. So uh, on to the other end of the weekend, um, but uh, with the nearest challenges to Inter, uh, Juventus are on equal points, but just slightly behind them in the standings at the moment. Uh, he says that actually they're two points behind them. Sorry, correction. Uh, and I probably actually should apologise for uh, interrupting Connor last week and saying that he'd called it match day three and not 13. But um, there you go. If he listens to that, then he can have the apology. Uh, if he doesn't get this far, then um, he's missed it. And uh, <laughs> I won't be doing it again. But uh, yeah, so over uh, in Monza, you had uh, a terrible penalty from Vlavic that was saved by... Um, Di Gregorio. Oh, there we go. Thank you very much, Vito. And it was one of those where, well, a little bit like the the the, the non-penalty and then that side going up the other end and scoring tonight. Um, he sort of pushes away the second save for a corner uh, and within sort of minutes, uh, because Juventus keep the pressure on, Rabiot sort of firing a header in. Then we had not a lot happening, Um by the looks of the highlights until the 91st minute or the first minute of stoppage time when Monza equalised. Um, then Federico Gatti, who in the first half should have done much better, went on the goal line. He kind of tried to flick it with the outside of the boot and just missed it. Then uh, on 94 minutes, uh, he has a swing and a miss at the ball. Uh, it kind of just it goes nowhere so mm -hmm. it leaves him sort of a yard away from it to then sort of smash it into the net and um, it was another strange performance by Juve but another three points it was another three points and in some ways this could have been a game which might have had a bit more gloss to it but it also could have been a game which Juventus could have squandered as well in that first half Juventus did have the better line of the chances and also, Monza did have a lot of possession, but Juventus, when they were counter-attacking, uh, they were more of a threat and they needed uh, Di Gregorio to make a few saves. Then in the second half, it looked like your classic boring Juve. Monza were trying things on the ball, creating chances, but they, were, they weren't hitting the target at all. I only had one shot on target all game, and that was when Valentin Carboni scored that goal. So I think it goes to show that, you know, up front they were lacking that killer edge. Otherwise, um, yeah, the Brianzoli could have really got something out of this game. And Carboni, not just the goal, but he could have got an equalise in the dying minutes of the game. And in general, when he replaced Andrea Colpani, Monza looked like a totally different team. There was a bit more invention, a bit more unpredictability. 
And uh, I'd be curious to see if Raffaele Palladino can somehow accommodate Colpani and Carboni in the same team because Colpani didn't have a good game against Juventus, but in general, he's been their best player. And Carboni looks like he's got something special about him. So I think if they can, you know, provide something for Lorenzo Colombo up front or whoever else Palladino wants to use as that lone striker, if you like, I think maybe as the season progresses, maybe Monza will score a few more goals. Yeah, I think I was expecting a little bit more from Monza this season, being second year in Serie A. Um, but they're sort of temp. They've won four, they've lost four, they've drawn the other six. Those draws probably are going to sort of harm them when it comes to the end of the season, if they're going to... Well, if they had any aspirations for European qualification, I suppose, this this season... Um, but you know they they'll be comfortable in Syria and they'll maybe maybe third year is the best uh, time for them to be thinking about um, European football. But you said boring Juventus. Um, I do, and our listeners will very much know your views on Massimiliano Allegri. <laughs> um, but I saw something with this victory, even with it being last gasp, that. Someone was questioning whether with this squad, which I think is extremely poor, certainly in comparative to 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 probably what the last fifteen years, do we not give um, Allegri enough credit for where he's got Juventus this season, and arguably where they would have been last season with again a poor squad, had it not been for their points deduction? I don't think the squad is as poor as it seems. It just looks poor in comparison to what they had in the 2010s. And then all the great teams they had in the 20th century, then yes, this team does look poor. However, if you look at the standard of Italian football these days, uh, it's still a good enough squad. And I think what makes this performance so far good from a Juventus perspective is that they didn't spend a lot of money on the transfer market. The only major spending was... Timothy Weyer, and the main issue with Juventus, or focus if you like, was to try and reduce the wage bill and things like that. So they were selling players for um, more capital gains. I don't want to make it sound like it was like the scandal Mm -hmm. that they got penalised for, but they were trying to balance the books. So they tried to sell off as many people as possible or cut the wage bill significantly. But I think without major enforcements... He's still done a good job from a tactical perspective, even though I don't like his approach to the game. And I don't think if we look at the big picture, he's going to do anything in Europe by playing this way. But in Serie A, it's still good enough. And I'll keep repeating it. Without European football, I think he can sort of work on the condition of the players a bit better. So I think it works nicely for them. And Allegri is sticking to what he knows best. And I think that's where he's sort of being able to do a good job. I think, you know, as much as I would love to see Juve be a bit more expansive or have a bit more freedom on the ball, because early in the earlier rounds, they did show a bit more that they could play that kind of football, look a bit better when they're counter-attacking instead of just wasting simple passes like they usually do. But I think, um, you know, Allegri is in his comfort zone and uh, that's good for them on a domestic front. And then probably next year you can look at Europe and if that approach even works. And I'm still convinced it does not. And it's not because of the players. I think it's because of Allegri's mindset. Yeah, I think the two Milanese clubs on paper have got the better squads sort of man for man. Juventus, I would say, are probably on a par with Napoli, you know, individual talents. Um you know, let's not go through it all, but I think goalkeeper wise, I think Merritt and Chesney are probably about level. They've both got goal scorers if Vlaovic can start taking better penalties for one. Um, but that, you know, you make that you make the point about not having European football, and I suppose that that will benefit them this year. But um, for them to be going toe to toe with what is a, a a quite an impressive performing interside, if not the one of loads of star names of you know the last few seasons um sort of when they were where they're splashing cash under conte i think uh 
Juventus are doing a good job and it's, you know, we always want a title race. And if we can have a three-way title race, if Milan can sort of pull themselves together, then um, I think that's that's only a good thing. So um, let's move on to Milan. Uh, that was the game you did for us uh, at the weekend. They beat Frosinone 3-1, as we would uh, probably expect them to, but they were still um, depleted with, um, you know, injuries they've got to their attack. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Vito, but uh, Liao can't have started. Was he still injured? Yeah, Liao's still injured. And also to have him injured and still get the win, I think this game, you know, with all respect to Rosinone, they might not have been the best opponent, but I think the Rossoneri needed to get the result. And to have uh, Luka Jovic play well and Pulisic um be important on the left wing, being involved in all three goals. I think that's uh, positive because in previous weeks and in my three takeaway articles for uh, Total-ItalianFootball.com, I was always writing that without Giroud and Leal, they were really missing something in attack. And in this game against the Canarini, Jovic and Pulisic really showed that they can fill the void and it's a matter of them... Producing that continuity. Yeah, because Giroud will be back from suspension next time out, which is... Uh, who have they got? They've got Atalanta. They're away to Atalanta next game, uh, match day 15. Um, but Pulisic's touch for his first goal was absolutely delightful to sort of pull it out of the sky and you know go straight through on goal and then keep his composure. Oh, it was a fantastic touch. Uh, well, firstly, Mike Magnan with that goal kick, uh, it was a superb delivery. And just how delicate Pulisic was to just get the ball down like that and then surge forward and chip it over to Rati was a fantastically taken goal. Uh, he, you know, he was doing that pace, but the ball control was just so clean. And yeah, it looked so simple in the eye. But, uh, you know, for Magnan to deliver it like he did and then Pulisic to control it, um, you know, quality on both of their parts. On the other side of the attack, Samuel uh, Trickwazy, um, he looked lively again. He scored midweek and he was probably the only sort of bright spot in the 3-1 loss to Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League. Um, finally getting himself off of the... Um, yeah, well, on the score sheet rather than off of something else. There's something else he's off of that I can't um, remember or think of at the moment, Vito. But, um, you know, he, did he impress you? Chuk, uh, where's uh, Look, maybe not in the same way Jovic and Pulisic did, but he did have a good game. And uh, I think with the starts that he's been having now, I think he's become a bit more settled and it's also helped him gain confidence. Against Fiorentina, he was very poor in that game. So to score that excellent goal like he did against Dortmund, and then in this game to have a bit more of an involvement in the game and um, set up, uh, sorry, yeah, set up um, Jovic for the first goal, uh, I think it shows that uh, you know he too can also play an important role for Milan going forward, and also it does take the pressure off. Uh, Pioli in the sense that he doesn't need to rely on Giroud and Leal so much especially if those three players we've been talking about can perform on a more consistent basis Yeah and I think they've got that they've got that very slim chance of getting through the Champions League um, group stage and where they've they've kind of relied on one or two players in attack um, they're probably going to be a, need a lot of them to go to Newcastle and, and get the victory that would, as I say, give them that fate, hope. And, you know, if, if Paris Saint-Germain um, were to not be victorious. Uh, and, and yeah, that's, I think that's where they've, they've been weakest in Europe this year. They've had those two nil-nil draws at the start and it was, if Liao wasn't firing or if he was sort of struggling a little bit with fitness, um, it, it showed massively for Milan this year. So, um, they're there though, like domestically, they're sort of hanging in into the total race. And um, are you expecting them to be able to sort of overcome what have they got now? They've got a six point gap, and uh, or will they still sort of fall away? Do you think? 
at the moment, I'm still leaning towards them falling away a bit because they've had this really bad run and also against the Frosinone, uh, you know, there might have been like some changes in momentum, especially before that Jovic goal. Marvin Schuni had a great chance to score, but instead of going for a simple shot, he went for the chip and Manjan had to save it. So uh, if Frosinone went 1-0 up at that moment, it would have been interesting to see if... Uh, Milan had that mental strength to sort of launch a comeback. And then also that goal Frosinone scored but through Marco Brescianini. It was a great free kick, but for the Milan defence to miss the ball like that and then Manjan out of all goalkeepers not to be able to read the play in that moment, it was a bit of a cheap goal to concede, to be honest. So it's more just to see how things go as the weeks progress. I think... If those players can be more consistent, then, yeah, I think on the day, they're talented players, and they could give Milan and Juventus a run for their money. But it's a matter of Pioli being able to make sure these guys are producing this form week in, week out, and not spontaneously. Yeah, because Frosinone had a chance to uh, take the lead when Tamori... Um... I think he sort of dwelled on the ball, didn't he? And sort of, he got yeah. it stuck with his, and yeah. they, they raced away. That's uh, it, obviously, yeah. he made up for that with a goal uh, later in the game. But um, if they're going to continue making those mistakes, I think uh, they'll probably struggle to sort of keep pace with uh, Juventus and Inter. Onwards to, he says, looking where we're going. Uh, I think Roma are fourth. I never quite trust the British league tables because um, sometimes they don't uh, use the sort of Serie A head-to-heads <laughs> or whatever we're using to... Um, but they've got 21, uh, 21. They've got 24 points. They were extremely fortunate um, to beat Sassuolo tonight. They did so with a penalty from Paolo Dybala that was won by Christensen extremely fortunately uh i felt he um conned the ref um he 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 dived didn't he Vito? <laughs> uh look i i'd say it was a bit exaggerated and he and again it goes to our point you know with penalties in italy like you see them given in Serie A, but uh, in europe they're more they're more strict on those things or, you know, they're less tolerant when it comes to the theatrics of the game. So, um, yeah, it is. It was quite fortuitous. And before uh, uh, Christensen earned that penalty, um, Daniel Bolocca got sent off for a foul on Leandro Paredes. And that pretty much turned the game around, you know, when it was 11 versus 11, the Nero Verdi were the ones in the back on the in the driver's seat, and uh, yeah, and just with that sending off, that pretty much sort of changed the momentum, and that really was fortunate for the Giallo Rossi because you know the Giallo Rossi they are quite unpredictable in the sense that you don't know what, if they're going to turn up or not. Sometimes they have good days, sometimes they have bad days, and this might have been a day in which Sassuolo could have produced another shock result, but. But the Balocca sending off, it wasn't to be. What minute was that, Vito? You mentioned it before we came on air, but um, when when how how long did they have to sort of hold out with ten men? Well, look, it was in the second half, so um, my memory is actually playing up on me at the moment. But I would not have <laughs> thought. Oh well, sixty third minute, so uh, twenty seven minutes, and then you've got injury okay. time, of course. But still, twenty seven minutes to. Close out a game, mm. you know, probably a team that's not as um, cavalier as Sassuolo would probably do a better job at shutting shop or nullifying the Roma threat. And, you know, that's probably one of those things that makes Allegri at Juventus, although they do have a strong defence, but with uh, Allegri prioritising defence first, you know that with them, they're going to tighten things up. And you could even say the same with AC Milan, that, uh, Pioli, when he knows he's devoid of attacking threats, he'll set up his team to defend. Uh, Sassuolo, they're all about the idealists and they're a joy to watch, but sometimes that's when 
in those moments you can sort of be tolerant of being uh seeing a coach sorry just implementing a defensive approach because you don't want to wear yourself out by trying to attack more and of course you don't want to leave too many gaps at the back because you're already down one player Sassuolo were also extremely unlucky with the winning goal the uh the shot was i think heavily deflective is even an understatement i think it it, it it looped up at least another like double the length or double the length double the height of the the, the goal uh, you know, over the keeper, and um, yeah, you hope that Christensen probably celebrated it more for its importance than the quality of uh, of the strike because it was going nowhere until it sort of took that took that deflection. Yeah, so some of those goals where you do see a deflection, you really wonder why they're still crediting, you know, crediting those goals to the player who took the initial shot because. Even though the shots might have actually hit the target without hit without hitting an opponent, but still, uh, the deflections on some of those goals they're more than noticeable. No defender ever wants an own goal, Vito. So um, no. let the attacker have it. <laughs> Although uh, I've been at Anfield today, where they've credited uh, a wonderful free kick from Trent Alexander-Arnold to um, Bernd Leno because I think it hit his heel as it came down off of the crossbar. But uh, yeah, it's a shame that he's not getting that. But there's my um, there's my little Liverpool story from today uh, <laughs> for you. Um, so let's go to... Oh, I really haven't put these in any great order. I'll tell you what I was quite surprised at, Vito. Um, Bologna dropping points at Lecce. Um, a good free kick from, I will let you pronounce the Greeks um, surname. Yes, uh, Likoyanis. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, and then, but they, they didn't really do too much. I think they were quite fortunate to go ahead because they were quite poor in the first half and then there was sort of a really, really late penalty for, for Lecce. Um, it was a deserved penalty, unlike the one in, in Sassuolo, in my view. But uh, Bologna, you know, Surprisingly, drop points because they've been going so well under Thiago Motta. They have been doing very well this season, and goes back to points I've made on other pods we've done. That uh, I do think that Bologna lack that clean stick in front of goal, so they're capable of getting results, and you know they're a competitive team. But I just think they really are lacking that cutting edge that would. Uh, you know, propel them high in the table. And it's the same situation with Monza. You know, Monza plays some good football, but they lack a quality striker that's going to score regularly that could really push them for Europe. And, uh, you know, with the penalty, you know, it showed that it was costly because Bologna, on paper, do have a better squad than Lecce. But when you don't take your chances, it will come back to bite you. And ultimately, it did bite the roster blue at the end. Yeah, I think they just panicked towards the end because the goalkeeper went up, didn't they, for Lecce? And that, that was who was eventually bundled over in, yeah, the, in the box for the penalty. Mm. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of protestations from the Bologna players, but um, it was it was probably deserved. Um, and now they sort of, they missed the opportunity to, to well, they might, yeah, depending on how they work these... They missed the opportunity. Oh, no, they did. They missed the opportunity to go one point ahead of Fiorentina. So that's where we'll go next. Fiorentina, uh, sixth, occupying the last European place at the moment with 23 points. Uh, and they found goals in their contest with Salernitana. Um, they're, they're, I think they're going to continue to be in the Champions League qualification discussion right until the end of the season uh, this year. Um, they... They thought the standout performer for them was um, was Sotil, uh on the on the the wing. Did he see play wing? This is where yes. When he was at, it was Bologna, wasn't it? He was at. Oh, it no, was, it was Cagliari. He was at. Cal- yeah, Cagliari. Yeah, there we go. It's the old it's the old curse of the Rosso blue. You see that kit, and you just sort of start mixing mixing teams up. They all look alike. And he feels, yeah, he feels like he feels like um, a sort of. Does this make sense? Like a poster boy footballer, yeah. And he had the he had the sort of wet look hair at one point, and he's quite a good looking chap. And he's 
he's technically good. He'll score a he'll score a good goal like he did today. You know, sort of a aesthetically pleasing goal where he'll cut inside and he'll curl one in. But then for games at a time, he's sort of ineffective and doesn't do anything. He got an assist and a goal at the at the, at, um, at the Frankie today, but. It always feels he could do more of his talent, and he's just going to be sort of maybe a journeyman, journeyman footballer. But um, yeah, what do you think? This was one of those days where Sotil was on song, and in general, it does feel that he hasn't made the most of his talent. I remember when he emerged at uh, at Fiorentina would have been about four years ago, three four years ago. There was one game I think they drew three all with Napoli. And he scored something like two goals in that game, if, if I can recall correctly. And I thought maybe then, even if he wasn't going to lock down a starting place, he could have at least been an impact sub. But the guy just has these inconsistency issues and doesn't show enough to merit a regular starting spot. Uh, for what it is, though, um, it was still a good day for him. Uh, he did um, set up Bonaventura at the end, or not at the end, but he set him up for the third goal. And that goal to make it 2-0 was a lovely strike. So when when he's good, he's a fine player to watch. And yeah, I think it would be beneficial for Italiano and Fiorentina as a whole if he can perform more consistently because uh, they really need other alternatives on the wings. You know, Icone... And um, Nico Gonzalez are good players, but it's always good to have some backup. And you know, without going off onto too many tangents, uh, Fiorentina look good against teams like Salernitana and the smaller sides, but they've struggled against most of the big boys this season with the Napoli game being an exception. So I think that might be the thing that costs Champions League qualification. They need to be able to be able to do well and win against potential European rivals. Yeah, so I think what I didn't mention earlier is we've got Atalanta Torino tomorrow. So Atalanta are just kind of outside Fiorentina there, uh, three points behind the Viola. Uh, and then just coming up behind them are Lazio with 20 points. They, they like their uh, capital neighbours, Roma, had a sort of poor start to the season, but they've, they've, they've been incredibly inconsistent in comparison to last season where they they were never quite in a title race but they they were sort of comfortably uh within the Champions League places for for most of the season once they hit their stride uh, under Sari and I think that was his first season at Lazio second this is go on you said that's correct third. <laughs> yeah and ah. uh yeah, go on, Vito. Take correct me. I know yeah, he's yeah, it's his third season that. now. So last season was his ah, second one again. Uh, okay. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was his first, but uh, all these seasons now they sort of roll into one. There's so much <laughs> football at times. Um, but but they had a they had a narrow one 0 victory over Cagliari. Pedro sort of ended a little sort of a short goal scoring drought, and I think he scored in the scored in the Champions League against Celtic. But they just sort of. I don't know, sort of flattering to deceive sometimes. I see them sitting there in ninth and three points off of sixth place, yet you see that they've only won two of their last five, they've lost two of their last five, drawn the other. Yeah, I don't I don't quite know what to make of, of Lazio this season. They're just horribly inconsistent. You can't really pick how well they're going to play on any given day. Last season, they were just so reliable. You know, Providell in goal... Casale and Romagnoli would keep things tight at the back. And also, it was the last season of Sergei Malinkovic-Savic at the club. And, you know, he produced a lot of uh, quality all-round performances in midfield. It does feel that he's a loss. And although I think Wenduzi's doing good since he started a bit more, but he's no Malinkovic-Savic. Then if we just... No. no. And then if we talk about this game specifically against Coyote... Uh, they were quite wasteful. I think they could have added more than just the one goal. And uh, I do feel that Gustav Isaacson, he'll be a he'll be an excellent player moving forward because 
Against Celtic, he played well in the Champions League. He was involved in both goals for Chiro Immobile in that game. And in this game, he looked like he gave the Coyote defence a lot of headaches. So I think he's a player to watch out for. And although Pedro scored that goal, it's good to have someone like Isaacson who's more youthful, got, a more, got more energy. Um, that will help probably for the duration of most games anyway. Yeah, apart from Celtic, they did have a they did have a fairly tough Champions League group, and they've got through that. So um, maybe we should let them off. They've been fighting on two fronts um, so far this season, and to be in touch and distance of you know European places again for next season is probably probably a good thing for them because once you get into the knockout stages of the Champions League, um, I don't think they'll win it. But if you can get a little run together, if you can do something like Benfica did last year or even even the two Milanese sides where quality-wise you're not the best in the competition but you can sometimes go on a little run and just and, and pick up um, pick up victories and you know it's something for the fans more than anything else more than have sort of hopes of hopes of winning the winning the competition I don't want to leave Genoa till last I know you probably would um, but there wasn't there wasn't a great deal that happened in there one one draw with um, with Empoli, other than Malinowski scoring uh, another worldie, uh, just got a beauty of a left foot, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got a fantastic strike, and I'm still surprised that uh, that Atalanta had let him go before going to Marseille because you know just his ability to just. You know, crack those shots. Not only does he put so much power in those shots, he's usually quite accurate. He doesn't blast them randomly into different parts of the stands. He knows how to get them on target. And a play of his quality, at a club like Genoa, I think he'll make a big difference for them because at the moment, they look like they're just, you know, looking to survive relegation. And someone like him adds a bit more quality to a squad, which is still more or less either Serie A veterans or players that are of a Serie B level. So when you have someone like him scoring those bangers, it's it's a bonus for them. Yeah, I think they'll be a little disappointed that they've um, they've dropped points at home to Empoli. But, you know, they've got 15 points from 14 games. Empoli are still down there just uh, teetering above the... Uh, relegation zone so I think I mean, all all being equal I think general fans are probably fairly satisfied with how they've started this season um, down in the relegation zone uh, Hellas Verona they had arguably the most entertaining game of the weekend against Udinese 3-3 free free. Um, there was a great uh, overhead kick that I think Ungonj. drew Verona level yeah, there we go um, but there was also a, a a double for Lorenzo Luca. He looked he looked a very confident young man the way he sort of celebrated the goals. But um, what do we know about uh, Lorenzo Luca, uh, Vito? He was someone that rose through the lower divisions. He was a good striker for Palermo when they were in Serie C, and when he was at Pisa, he was banging a good amount of goals for them, and they reached the. Playoffs, I think the 2021-22 Serie B season, and then they ended up losing that final playoff to Monza. So, yeah, real sliding doors moment. You know, maybe he could have gone up to Serie A with them if if they went up instead of the Brianzoli. Ajax then signed him, couldn't adapt to the Dutch game, so Udinese brought him on loan. And to be honest, I think he deserves to start up front instead of Isaac's success who actually started this game but was off after more than five minutes. So Luca definitely t- took his chances and hopefully Choffy keeps persisting with him because he's shown that you know he's such a tall guy and he doesn't have a large frame on him. So he can move around a bit, but with that height, you just know he's going to dominate in the air. And if he can be utilised a lot more, I think the Zebrete should be able to survive relegation again yeah well yeah it looks looks like he's going to get his uh, his chance and uh, it sounds like he's worked for it as well you, you touched on the time that he spent in um, Syria B uh, you'll be doing your roundup for us this week um, is there anything of note to sort of look out for what's been going on down there well 
well, this week, without going to too much depth, I'll probably look at um, the results of Sutirol and Cornwall because Cornwall won one nil. Um, Sass Fabregas, he's got two wins and a draw in his three games as the coach of the Lariani since the sacking of Moreno Longo. And um, I think it, it's a pretty, pretty interesting result, that one, because Fabregas, you know, with that Arsenal and Barcelona background and playing for that great Spain side, he's an idealist, whereas his opponent, Pierpaolo Bizzoli, is probably a more defensive coach than Allegri, and he got the result. So I think that narrative, you know, seems to fit. But other than that, Venezia and Parma are looking very strong. And Palermo, who were looking like a promotion contender, they're further slipping too because Catanzaro, who got promoted from Serie C, they're doing very well themselves and they actually got a 2-1 win against uh, the Rosanero in Sicily. Mm. It feels like that Fabregas uh, move into management and Como was always going to come. Yeah. It was almost uh, as soon as he went there and his playing time, we knew there was going to sort of become less and less given age, injuries, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as there was any pressure on any coach, whoever they were, uh, yeah, I'm not not surprised that he's taken over there at Como. So, um, yeah, uh, get on that, listeners that want to hear and read uh, about a little bit more that's going on underneath the top flight and who might be coming up next season. Um, we're nearly at the halfway stage in both. Um but I think that's it for us for this uh, weekend. We will be back next weekend. We're starting to ramp up towards the busier sort of Christmas schedule. There's Champions League the following week that will sort of mean that's the end of the group stages. Um, but yeah, just uh, keep reading our bits and bobs. Keep listening to the pods. Um, I'm sure you and, and Connor will be back with a Serie A Feminale uh, pod next week. Um, so yeah Vito do you want to say goodbye to the listeners goodbye listeners and it's goodbye from me take care everybody and we'll see you soon è vero ci sono cose più importanti di calciatori e di cantanti ma dimmi cosa c'è di meglio di una continua sofferenza per arrivare alla vittoria e poi non rompermi i coglioni per me c'è solo l'intero a me che sono innamorato non venite a raccontare quello che l'Inter deve fare perché per noi niente mai normale né sconfitta né vittoria che tanto è sempre la stessa storia un'ora e mezza senza fiato perché Solo l'Inter C'è solo l'Inter Per me Solo l'Inter C'è solo l'Inter Per me
diceva che la serie A era il nostro DNA io non rubo il campionato ed in serie B non sono mai stato c'è solo per me solo l'Inter c'è solo l'Inter per me c'è solo l'Inter per me